0: Welcome to City Church. City Church is a biblically-based, relationally-driven, spirit-led church, encouraging everyone to follow Jesus and serve others. We're excited to share this sermon with you today, and you can always find out more about us online at citychurchseville.com. Well, good morning, everyone. Let's try that again. Good morning, everyone want to welcome you here in the sanctuary and those of you that are worshiping with us online, just really trust that the Lord's already moving in your heart, moving in your life through worship and through prayer. Now in just a moment, we're going to continue in the sermon series that's focusing on the fall and we've been looking at Genesis chapters 1 through 3, Genesis chapters 1 through 3. We're going to find ourselves this morning in Genesis chapter 3 verses 4 through 8. Verses four through eight. But before we get there, I want you to do something for me. Again, whether you're here in the sanctuary or you're worshiping with us online. And that is, is that when I read the text, I'm going to ask that you would develop a mental picture of what you're hearing. You see, in the older testament, the way the Bible is written, it is written so that you can develop a mental picture of what's being said. Again, what I'm getting ready to read is no different. One of the theologians that I was studying for this morning said something that really touched my heart. They wrote that the way in which the text that we're getting ready to read is written, including the creation narrative of Genesis 1 and 2, is that it's a lot like Van Gogh's painting Starry Night. It's not the Hubble telescope picture. Now, science can look at the first three chapters, and they do, of the book of Genesis. But that's not really how chapters one and three are written. They're written pictorially. They're written so that your imagination gets engaged. So I'm going to ask that you would do that as I read from Genesis chapter three, verses four through eight. The other thing I would like to remind us of is that where I'm getting ready to read, just know that there are two trees in the garden. There's the tree of life, and there's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So keep all of this in the picture. Let's read Genesis 3, 4 through 8. Here's what Scripture says. Surely you will not die, or you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God knowing good and evil. When when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom. Reading on, it says, she took some and she ate it. Reading on, she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Now again, I'm trusting that you have a mental image that you have developed kind of a scene in your mind as to what this encounter in this episode of Scripture looks like. I want to help you with one thing. When we talk about the serpent in the Scripture, please know that even in ancient times, people knew during the time of Moses that serpents didn't talk. They knew that. The thing to also make note of is because oftentimes we have a picture of the serpent wrapped around the limb of the tree, is that it's pretty apparent that the serpent does not crawl on its belly until after the fall, and God curses the serpent to do so. So the serpent easily could have been upright. The serpent could have walked like every other human. It's also interesting to note that some rabbis teach that in the text we just read, not only does humankind fall, but they also teach that's when the serpent fell. They both fall simultaneously. It's very interesting. But what we do know is when the serpent speaks, the serpent says to Eve, pay no attention to what you know to be true. You know that God said if you take of this tree that you will die. Don't worry about that. Kind of ignore what you know to be true and focus on something else. Now, whenever I read this story, I think of this episode from my own life. When I was in grad school, I was in grad school from 96 or from 86 to 88. And while I was there, that's where I met my wife Fran And uh, my dad had a belief that he would pay for your education, but he wouldn't pay for any extras. In other words, if I wanted to take Fran out on a date, that was on me. If I wanted to buy a cheeseburger off the meal plan, that was on me. And he had a theory that work was good for you. So I, in grad school, went out and got a job at a relatively high-end men's clothing store. I don't really know much about clothing, but a friend of mine worked there, and so I went in and got a job. And the episode that I'm referencing happened there, so here we are, we're selling clothes. What was really interesting to me was the manager of the men's side, this was a very lucrative clothing store, women's side, men's side. The manager of the men's side actually cared about his employees, fancy that. He cared about you as a person. And what he had done was, and I, come, I came into the employment there much later than the guy I'm going to reference, but the guy I'm going to reference um, was being mentored by the manager. And more than just sales, this young guy was actually a great salesman, but the manager was mentoring him in life. The other guy that would sell on the floor with me didn't really have a dad in his life. He came from a broken home, and so the manager really stepped in. I'll never forget the following episode. The manager went away for a week's vacation. And when he did, this other guy that would sell on the floor with me, there were other salesmen, but there were always two of us at once. This other guy that would sell on the floor with me, when the manager went away on vacation, he went out, sold the car that he had, and bought a Mercedes-Benz. And it was beat up. It was pretty dilapidated. But he wanted a Mercedes-Benz. So he bought one. And I can remember when the manager came back and I was in the store and the guy that was supposed to be selling with me wasn't there. So I said to the manager, where is so-and-so? And he said, well, I'll tell you where he is. He said, he and I talked about that Mercedes. And I told him, you don't make enough money to drive a Mercedes. Now the people that shop at the store have enough money, but you don't. Not only that, that car's overpriced and you can't afford to fix it don't buy it but when the manager went away on vacation the salesman went out and bought the car and guess why he wasn't at work he did not want to face the manager and the manager knew it now the scripture tells us that adam and eve went and ate of the fruit of the tree and when god walked back into the shop where the clothes were sold they didn't show up for work you get that all right now When we look at the story, what we discover is, is that there was a specific temptation that drew Eve. And in Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, what we discover is, and we're going to read it, we've already read it, but we're going to read it again. The scripture tells us that the serpent said, don't worry about what you know. Don't worry about what your manager told you about the Mercedes. Don't focus on that. Focus on something else. And in Genesis 3, 6, here what we, here's what we discover. It says, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and was pleasing to the eye. Now I want to push the pause button. That's how every tree in the garden looked. Every tree in the garden was pleasing to the eye and good for food. How do we know that? That's what it tells us in the creation story. There was more fruit than you knew what to do with. It was drop-dead beautiful. So every tree, every tree was pleasing to the eye and good for food. But there was something unique about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and here's where we find out what that is. Start at the beginning of Genesis 3, 6, and let's read it again. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, same as all the other trees, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Now, many of us, when we drew up that mental picture of the garden, Many of us had a vision of Eve standing alone. That's not the story. Adam was right next to her. Right next to her. And whenever I read that phrase, I go, Adam was with her. What? And he was right there. What? And I want to say, Adam, why didn't you say something? Because God told Adam the prohibition of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He didn't tell Eve, he told Adam. Adam was the one that told Eve, and he was standing right there when the serpent was standing next to her and was speaking to her, and Adam never said a word, never said a thing. And I want to coin a phrase, that's called the Adam effect. The Adam effect. What's the Adam effect? The Adam effect is to be ignorant. Now, how many of you have ever been called ignorant in your life? There was a phrase in my home where my parents would say, don't be ignorant. Well, here's the definition of ignorant. In the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, the first definition, definition A, destitute of knowledge or education, lacking knowledge or comprehension of the thing specified. That's one type of ignorant. But I'm talking about definition B. Definition B is resulting from or showing a lack of knowledge or intelligence. In other words, you know, you just don't show you know. And that's when I was called ignorant by my mom or dad. Don't be ignorant. You know, you know you know, but you're not doing or saying what needs to be said. You're ignorant. And so the Adam effect is to be ignorant. In other words, to know what's right and just to stand there and say nothing. That's the Adam effect. And you know what most rabbis teach? Most rabbis teach, in that moment, Adam did not fill his authority in Eve's life, so the serpent was very happy to take it. Fascinating. In other words, Adam should have spoken up in that moment and begin to talk to her about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but instead, he's not updating her, he's not continually talking to her, so the serpent says, well... Adam's standing right there. I'm willing to fill the void. And he does. He does. Now, please notice that the temptation in Genesis 3, 6 is that the fruit is desirable for gaining wisdom. Good for food, pleasing to the eye. That's the same with every tree in the garden. But the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, she decides, is good for gaining wisdom, and she eats. Now, in order to understand kind of what's happening here, we have to do what's called the time or the incident of first mention. So in the Bible, there are themes that run through the entire Bible. What biblical scholars will tell you is you have to go to the source of first mention. This is the first mention of wisdom in all of the Bible. So you go here, and it's the first place it's ever mentioned. But it's not long when you read through the Older Testament that you find someone else who gained wisdom. So Eve is the one that it's first mentioned of. But then it's not long before you're reading about a guy by the name of King Solomon. King Solomon is also someone who gains wisdom. But what's interesting is, is how King Solomon gains wisdom. In 1 Kings chapter 3, verses 1-15, through 15, and I'll tell you the story very quickly because I know some of us maybe have never read the Bible, and that's fine, but here's the story. Solomon is known as the most wise man that ever lived. He is the son of King David. There were two kings before King Solomon. Solomon's now the king at that point in time. There's King Saul, King David, and now David's son Solomon is sitting on the throne of Israel. And when he's sitting on the throne, he does something that's very fascinating. 1 Kings 3, 1 through 15 tells us that everyone around after uh, David's reign is living for themselves and they're outside of God's will completely and Solomon determines he's gonna follow God. So everyone else sacrificing to false idols. Solomon goes to the highest point of the land and he makes a thousand sacrifices to the God of Israel and when he's done, God says to him, hey Solomon, because your heart is right, because you're following me, I'm gonna grant any request you make you have one request. So Solomon says to God, God, you've given me this huge people to lead and I can't do it. So he humbles himself. He says, God, here's what I need. I need you for you to give me a discerning heart. In other words, I need wisdom. God, I can't do this. You have to give me wisdom. And what God says next is shocking. God says, Solomon, Because you didn't ask for wealth, and because you didn't ask for the death of your enemies, because you didn't ask for power, I'm going to give you all the other stuff. But because you didn't ask for that, I'm going to give you what you asked for. And God gives him a discerning heart and a wise mind. It's fascinating. So we see Eve is tempted to get some wisdom, but we see how Solomon actually gets wisdom from God through humility, through keeping God's first, and God gives him wisdom, but the wisdom's not a day to dump. He begins to serve, and as he's serving as king of Israel, God continues to give him wisdom, and he's got this wise mind and this discerning heart. But what do we discover in this text about Eve? We discover that Eve is tempted to eat of the tree so that she can gain wisdom. Now please know this, that wisdom is something that comes over time. Wisdom is something that's granted from one person to another. One of the things I determine in my heart as a graduate student When I watched the manager of our clothing store mentoring this young guy, and this young guy went against his wisdom, I determined then that I would find people with more wisdom in certain areas of my life than I have, and I would get close to them, and I would listen to them, and when they told me to do something, I would. That's how wisdom is brought. And here what we discover is, is that Eve sees this tree, and she begins to believe if she eats of the fruit of it, that she'll gain wisdom. But that's not how Solomon gets wisdom. Solomon gets wisdom by keeping God first. What is wisdom? Wisdom is to have the knowledge and to know when and how to use it and how to apply it at all times in every circumstance. That's wisdom. So you've got the knowledge, but you also know how and when and where to apply it. Again, wisdom is gained through the process of life. Wisdom's not a data dump. Let me share what I mean. How many of you, I call this the James Bond effect. Have you ever seen the James Bond movie or some like it? There's always, there's, well, it's pretty frequent now, where you watch a movie And you'll see someone break into an office when they break into the office, they'll hook their computer up to another computer and what's always happening. They can't get the passcode right away. And the security guard's walking toward them down the hallway and they're hiding behind the desk and they're going, and then they finally get it and the security guard's fumbling to get their keys and you're watching that download mode and your heart races up and you can barely handle it. You know what I'm talking about? This is in so many movies now. And then just at the last second, that thing goes, boop, the person slams the computer, unplugs it, crawls under the desk and the light comes on, the security guard stands there. It's called a James Bond data dump. That's not how wisdom works. But Eve thought it did. Eve thought if you just eat of the fruit of the tree, you're going to data download wisdom. You're going to get it. And so in the text that we see, we see that the tree is pleasing to the eye and it's good for food, like all the other trees in the garden. But this one, the enemy has come to her and said, it's good for wisdom. You can become wise, just eat from the tree. Now let's talk about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil very, very briefly. Here's what I believe about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That tree has no inherent properties but just serve to provide an opportunity for obedience and trust, which is the knowledge of good, or disobedience, the knowledge of evil. There was nothing inherent in the tree at all. Listen again, it just served to provide for as an opportunity for obedience and trust, the knowledge of good, or disobedience, the knowledge of evil. The tree of life had something inherent in it that if you ate of the fruit, it would give you perpetual life. we am gonna talk about that next week. But I believe that the knowledge of, of the tree of good and evil, the fruit didn't have any inherent power at all. It was just an opportunity for Adam and Eve to be obedient and to trust. In other words, experience the knowledge of good. But if they violate the tree, then they have the opportunity to know disobedience, which is the knowledge of evil. Ultimately, what happens is Eve doesn't reject God's authority as much as she insists on her own independence. And because of that, she does gain wisdom. But it's the type of wisdom she dreamt she never had. It's the type of wisdom that she regretted ever stepping into him. Please know this, wisdom gained properly always creates more order, more function. But wisdom that is stolen, wisdom that is a shortcut kind of a wisdom creates disorder, dysfunction, and chaos. Again, true wisdom must be acquired from God And there's a process to it. What's fascinating to me is that if you were to read in the book of Proverbs, which King Solomon wrote, King Solomon was the wisest man that ever lived, and he wrote a big chunk of what God taught him through life in the book of Proverbs. And if you were to read the book of Proverbs, you would discover that the book of, or that Proverbs, I'm sorry, wisdom becomes a woman who cries out in the street She calls to you and beckons you to come. Now let's go on to Genesis chapter 3, verses 7 through 8. In Genesis 3, 7 through 8, here's what the text tells us. After they eat, the text says, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. They and they hid from the Lord God among the trees. I mean, picture this. Somehow she had been led to believe that if she would eat of this fruit, there would be a data dump of wisdom. And once that data dump happened, she would be like God. And instead, she finds dysfunction and separation from her husband, and separation from God. It's stunning. The other thing that you'll take note of, at least I did in reading that verse, was once she has stepped away from God's full wisdom to where she's brought in wisdom from another source. Here's what I've discovered, and I've thought about this in my own life. When there's wisdom that originates with Pete Hartwig, It creates partial and temporary solutions that in the end come up short and tend to create more disorder. But when we have wisdom that comes from God, it's not partial or temporary. It's something that actually has effect. And when it takes effect, it actually brings more order, not disorder. Think about how they tried to cover themselves. They sow fig leaves. How temporary is that? Then they hide from God. How futile is that? So how do we put feet to our faith in the midst of this sermon? Here's what I believe. I believe putting feet to our faith means that God intends... That we would read this story and we would gain wisdom from the falling of Adam and Eve. That if we read this story and we leave and we haven't learned anything, we've done exactly what Adam and Eve have done. So what is some wisdom that we could have gained from today? Here's what I learned again. First of all, don't have the Adam effect Don't stand there and know what's right and say nothing. Number two, don't be like Eve and go against what you've learned and know to be true. Now, recently, I gained some new wisdom in my life, and I want to share it with you. Recently, I uh, discerned again, full confession, I have one of the worst lawns in my neighborhood. And here's why. Here's my excuse. I usually take about two years and I work inside the house. And then I'll take a year and work outside the house. Well, it's been about 22 years in the house (laughs) and no years outside the house. So I have a dear friend who happens to be sitting here this morning. And I was in a conversation about taking care of yards. His yard's fantastic. So we were talking about it and he gave me some wisdom. He said, look, there's a place here in town, all they do is provide landscaper stuff, go there, they'll help you. It was amazing. So I went to this shop and I stepped in. This guy said, hey, how are you? Shook my hand, told me who he was, said, my name's Pete. He said, well, Pete, how can we help you? And I said, well, look, I've got a really lame yard and I want my yard to be a better yard. And he said, we come to the right place. He said, what's your address? So I tell him and he does a little bit of typing and he goes, oh, I see your yard. I said, what? He had pulled it up on Google Earth. Then he said, "Well, here's about how many square feet of grass you have and here's the square footage of your house." So now this is creepy. I mean, he's literally looking at my yard. He goes, "Yeah, I can see some bald spots in your lawn." I'm like, "Okay, I got you, buddy." You know. <laughs> and then he basically says this. He goes, "Pete, here's what I want to tell you. You're going to have to remember this word. Sun." Ass O N. Well, as a preacher, sun, son of God, you know, all of that. It was kind of like a charismatic moment for me, right? I'm like, yeah, I'll, the sun, let's go for the sun. He goes, "Sun is an acronym. September, October, November." Sun. Every time you think about your lawn, I want you to remember that that phrase. S-O-N. I said, okay, what does it mean? He goes, well, it's pretty simple. He said in September, which is while I, when I was standing there, he said, you're going to come here, you're going to give me some money, and I'm going to give you some stuff, and you're going to put it on your yard. He said, in October, you're going to come back again, and we're going to do the same thing. And in November, you're going to come back again and do the same thing. So September, October, November, and he said, guess what? In spring, you're going to have the best yard you ever had. Isn't that amazing wisdom? Or is that just me? I think it's incredible wisdom. So I took it home, put it on my yard. My yard already looks better than it ever has in 22 years. Now here's what I know. Wisdom is something that's given, but it's not a data dump. It's something we process into, we process with. When I think about Adam and Eve, and I think about putting feet to our faith, I believe that God wants us to be a group of people that have wisdom. And in doing so, we avoid the things that we know that are not best for us. But as I was thinking about wisdom, and I was thinking about what drew Eve to the tree that literally racked her life, I thought about a text in the Newer Testament because again the way the Bible study works is you start with the first mention of something and then you trace it all through Scripture well here's where my tracing ended I want to read it for you first Corinthians chapter 1 verses 20 through 25 here's what Paul writes to the church of Corinth where is the wise person a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and what? The wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Stand with me. As we stand together, I want us to take a moment and close our eyes in God's presence. Stephen and the worship team are going to be leading us in worship. We're going to take an extended time to worship. But as we do so, I want you to remember that Jesus Christ, the Son, is the wisdom of God made known in this world.